This week on the one cast, I'm back from vacation and we're just going to run our traps about a bunch of stuff. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God, it's a toad, It's a toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's going to be a bad day. What's going on? One cast fans, fans of the one cast. Welcome back for another week, week 30. Three, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, something like that. We've been doing this for more than half a year, and it's been a ton of fun. And we're gonna keep doing it. So I'm laughing uh, at Pete because he literally has episode thirty-three up there. <laughs> I do, and I, I now I'm not sure that that's correct, but it could be correct. It could not. I don't know. We'll find out. I guess whenever, uh, whenever we actually upload it. But uh, yeah, make sure you head over to onecastfishing.com. Check out uh, their full line of baits. You got the snagless jigs, long neck hooks weedless ned soft plastics to to match or to fish uh, on your traditional texas rig hooks and stuff if, if that's what you want to do but make sure you head over there and check them out use the code the one cast at checkout save yourself some money and uh, support those that help support us uh, make sure you check out the veteran organizations i'll scroll across the bottom if you're watching the video if you're not they'll be linked in the description we'll get back into talking about them some more uh in the coming weeks but kind of taking a break from hammering y'all with a bunch of stuff right at the beginning hopefully we have some new partnerships coming we get yeah. to announce here pretty soon we're excited about that so keep your eyes and ears and faces peeled for that <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what's going on guys i'm glad to be back in the studio had a family vacation last week so if y'all watch or listened i was uh, remote from the beach with my family you did a little bit of saltwater fishing didn't you yeah i did a little bit of saltwater fishing caught some flounder and, and a few little redfish and uh, didn't really fish a whole lot. It was, I'm sure it was hot here, but it was really hot in South Carolina. So there's been like, well, first of all, it was super selfish of you to take a vacation. So we're glad that you had a great time. Uh, but no, just kidding, man. We Ben and I are super glad that you did. And uh, I'm glad that you made it back safe. And, you know, honestly, I wish I could have been down there doing some offshore fishing and stuff. Cause you know, unlike bass fishing where, you know, those fish can be super stingy, um, the salt is where it's at if you just want to go have a great time and just catch a fish man like it's you're just gonna catch one but uh i did want to uh kind of caveat off what pete was saying with you know going to onecastfishing.com use the code the one cast if you notice the names in the soft plastics right uh you know people may have questions like oh what is the warthog what is the stinger what is this what the, you know they correlate and obviously ben is, is sitting right here but you know it's a veteran owned company and Ben served and I'm still serving, but you know, those, uh, those names of those soft plastics correlate with a different weapon system that we use in the, in the United States army. Yeah. Is that accurate, Ben? Yeah. They're typically either an aircraft or some type of missile system. So there like a go. javelin or stinger. So something that has a lot of effect out there to snatch <laughs> up those bass. So that's right. But they, they are cool. They're creative. Uh, so if you got any questions on like, Oh, where the names names come from and stuff like that, that's where they came from. And, and we'll dive, uh, dive deeper into that if you need us to. So, uh, but dude, glad to have you back, Pete. Uh, ready to run our traps, you know, about things that are going on in the bass fishing industry and the outdoor space and stuff, you know. And sometimes uh, there's not a whole lot that's going on, right? You know, yeah. you kind of see the news and you see the same old, same old that the TikToks become really mundane as you're watching them. The, you know, everyone ramping up for a, for a tournament, like, Oh, you know, practice sucks. It was grind and everyone's pushing that stuff out there. And then the post tournament recap, like these are all the baits I caught them on and yeah. stuff like that. But you wanted to talk about, and I don't know if you guys want to jump into well, it right I now. I think first, I just yeah. want to say Joey C. Fuentes winning another one in his rookie year. Yeah. That's something to talk about. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> like, that That is, so this would have been, you know, last weekend. So this is two weeks post, but we're going to yeah. talk about it now. Um, one thing I know everybody wants to hear the hot take and all that right when it happens. Uh, sometimes it gets frustrating for us because we're a week behind news, but I also like it because it gives us time when there's drama or something that goes on to gather facts. So we're not just going with a hot take and then having to retract or say, hey, we were wrong. But Joey won forward facing sonar, Randy, once again. Played a big role in that. Um, the launch that they went out of uh, there, I've fished out of that launch a lot. I mean, every year for 15 years, we went up there and fished for a week uh, right out of Anchor Bay there. It's a cool launch. Uh, I've seen a lot of boats and trucks back completely underwater there. 
uh, I saw a James Bond car one time there. We were there. What? We were taking the boat out, and somebody had one of those, like some like they were a boat and a car. So we're sitting there loading the boat, and all of a sudden this sports car comes down the ramp and just drives right into the water. And we're like, and then it's just bloop, I, and it just takes off across the water. I don't know why that um, this made me think of this because you said maybe James Bond, but I did go see Mission Impossible this past weekend. Definitely recommend it. Oh, really? Yeah, that new one. There's another one out. Well, it's uh. Mission Impossible 7 Part 1, and it's a three-hour movie Jeez. for Part 1. Is it but still Tom Cruise? It's still Tom Cruise. It's got a lot of the original cast in there from like the, the first few. So. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's definitely a good one. But uh, go back to what you're talking about. But, yeah, about. so Anchor Bay, oh, uh, where what, they put in. Which lake were they on? Lake St. Clair. So that that area and a lot a lot of the guys. It's a really fish. small lake, I heard. It is it is a small lake. Yeah, only like 500 million acres. No, right? I mean, it's not quite <laughs> that big, but compared to the other lakes in the area, it's yeah. a small lake. I mean, you can run from Anchor Bay there. Uh, which is basically right in Detroit, if yep. you want to say that, to Canada. You can see shore across it at all times if it's a clear day. Mm. So you can make that run in a bass boat in, you know, an hour. So it's not it's not a huge lake if you're talking like Erie and the other Great Lakes. It is a big lake, but that area where a lot of like, I think four of the top ten fish the whole time in Anchor Bay is where we concentrate when I fished up there. And so it was kind of cool to see them catching fish in, in spots that I did growing up as a kid. Uh, I still think it's what it's probably the best lake fishery. Um, I mean, they had it's un, it's incredible fishery, man. I forget which day it was. They had 40 20 pound bags. I think yeah. I was day two when yeah, it was when uh, he had a 25 pound bag. Uh, who was that? Taku mm -hmm. had 25 pounds. I think second Palmer didn't he have like a 24 pound bag that day? And then all I know is like there was a lot of 20 pound plus bags yeah uh, and mercer even set it up on stage he was like man like this lake wasn't giving up and it was interesting like you said anchor bay majority of the field that's where the big bags are being yep. produced out of except on joey did not go there on the last day if i remember correctly no, no i don't think so no he didn't yeah and that so that's what there was 104 boats fishing the elites this year so they were able to spread out a little bit. The river's in play. Not too many guys would have went into the river because that's mostly bass fishing in, in the river. Uh, you do catch some smallmouth in there, but not like on the lake. Um, if somebody, you know, I'll say that I haven't spent a bunch of time up there. If the lake got rough, we'd go in there and catch largemouth and some pretty good ones. I mean, I've caught, I've caught several five pluses out of Lake St. Clair, largemouth. Uh, but it's, it's a smallmouth game. And when I was real little, my dad would just give me a spinning rod with a tube and they would be fishing, and I would just drag that tube behind the boat. And I can't tell you how many days of five, ten, four-pounders you would have. Um, not even knowing what I was doing in a little John boat as a six-year-old kid, you know. So those guys went up there, and it put out, man. It's uh, If, you, if you're if you looking for a smallmouth fishery that's not super hard to break down, it's not a deep lake, uh, I highly recommend taking a trip to St. Clair and checking it out. I think one of the, the cool things about those fisheries is, you know, we talk about – how advanced technology is getting and, and, you know, unaffordable, how unaffordable the, the technology is with forward facing sonars and three sixties and boats in general and all that stuff. But the really cool thing, and you can do this on large mouth lakes too, but it's, it's far easier in the North with smallies. You can go out there and be really simple and catch fish, catch smallmouth, Right. And when you look at the recap and again, congratulations to Cifuentes, like, second win of the year, leading rookie of the year points, um, just phenomenal statistics that the guy has. But putting all that stuff aside, you know, everyone's like so hyper-focused on technology and you got to have this, this, this. Man, you go and just throw a drop shot because that's how they were catching them, drop shots, Ned rigs, tubes, right, maybe some jerk baits. It's very simple on the way to catch those fish. So with all the with all the glamour and and all the you know shiny objects that the, the bass fishing world and the outdoor space has to offer right now it still doesn't matter go up there go to lake st Clair, just get in a little boat whatever you have go off or go on the shore throw a drop shot throw a tube and you're gonna catch a smallmouth man have, and that's a pretty cool thing have a unit with a halfway decent map and go to the red spots and you'll you'll catch them on st Clair. it's definitely on one of my bucket lists because I just want to go up there and catch a bunch of three pounders. Exactly. I mean, that's what most of the field would catch them with three and a half pounders. Yeah. That got you 50th or something. Yep. It, it might be a little more difficult to find those four and five pounders consistently find the right schools. And that's what obviously the top 10 did and Joey did out there. But uh, 
it'd be fun to go catch a hundred fish, 50, hundred fish out there all through two and a half to three pounds. It'd just be a blast. It was yeah. crazy to see guys catch 20 pounds two days in a row and not make the cut. I mean, it, it, um, was, it was ridiculous. Like that just tells you how good it was fishing. It, it, I like going up there like the first week of June, as long as they don't have a real long winter. Um, just because those fish are usually pre-spawn that first week and they get shallower and in the weeds and you can have an absolute slugfest burning a spinnerbait. And when those big four pound pre-spawn fish smoke a spinnerbait, it is a ton of fun. Um, so that's when I like to go up. But St. Clair, if you're looking for a smallmouth lake that's not super hard to catch fish on and break down, not as much water, I, I definitely recommend St. Clair. There's Just don't stay in the hotel that Jordan Lee did because <laughs> you're not allowed to back your boat up and <laughs> you you gotta you gotta imagine like put Did you your, see that when the Bass Pro Tour was there? When oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I think we talked about it, <clears throat> and that's and that's why Poche couldn't fish this week, um, this last yeah. tournament because he had already been there within the twenty eight days. Yeah, yeah. So well, I mean, and you see him, you know, not to jump on the Poche train, but you see him in the Angler of the Year points. Like actually, <laughs> he's above a lot of people, but he's not doing that great because he's missed what he's like tournament. He's so like ninety eighth in yeah. the Angler of the Year, but this first first year's free. Right, this first year is free for him, so he's not really worried about a cut. But what I do want to say is, um, on the uh, on the smallmouth fishery stuff, uh, man, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, it's got to be extremely humbling for some of those really seasoned veterans that are on the elites, right? Uh, to have a rookie like Joey Sefuentes who is able to beat them at finding those different uh, class of fish, right? Where he was able to put the pieces together with the four and five pounders where they were just catching the three, three and a half, three and three quarter pounders, right? So it, the, the sport of bass fishing, the competitive side of bass fishing, it is by far the most humbling sport that I've ever been a part of, it, right? It is, but well, the thing with the elites though, like when you get to that level, if you look at Joey, like that dude's been fishing the Toyotas and the yeah. Opens for like 10 years. Like he has experience on yeah. these, these bodies but, of water. So he understands how to break them down a little more. But yeah, I mean, if, if, if he's out there, KVDs catching three and a half pounders and a guy like Joey comes in and starts catching five, it's definitely humbling. I yeah. mean, it just goes to show how, well, Joe, Joey's proven this wrong, but it's extremely hard to actually win a tournament on that level. Yeah, I mean, it is. And K I don't KBD, he's got 20-some, but that's over like a 30, 35-year career. G-Man, Gerald Swindo, two Angler of the Year, is one of the best anglers on tour by far. He's never won a blue never trophy. Never won a blue trophy. No. And, and Joey has won two. In, in the same rookie year. I also, I also, it's <laughs> extremely hard to win at that level, but I also feel like the skill gap, and we've talked about it before, is closing because of electronics and the information. So, the old jig draggers and stuff that go out there and knew what they were doing and what they were looking for. That learning curve between the younger guys and those older guys is cut because of forward facing center, because of side imaging, because of down imaging, because of better imaging, better mapping. You know, look, I can't imagine the money that Lawrence and Navionics and Humminbird and all them are putting to have people go out and map these lakes, just drive around and map the lake, mark stuff. Like they're spending big money to provide that information to anglers. So there's a lot more now. But yeah, I mean, look at John won early in his career, and then it was 15 years before he won another one. Yeah. And we have to admit, there's a lot of luck involved because all those guys are great. And you only get three, two and a half, three days of practice. And you, you map out, you strategize what you're going to look at, you, you based upon your history, on all your research. You just happen to hope you find the right stuff. Yeah. And, you know, you're looking for a needle in the haystack sometimes. And some, you know, someone's going to find it. You know, it seems to be that way, but it's it's not easy to find. And there's a little bit of luck that you just pulled up at the oh right spot at the right time, and you kind of figured it out. I think especially with those smallmouths, you and I know we all hate the Sabine River. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we all smallmouth fisheries are a lot like that though, because like everybody's catching three and a half pounders. Just a guy that just happens to find that school that has two, four and a half, and a five in it instead of all three and a half. So there is there is luck, especially on those northern smallmouth lakes because it's limited. There's only so many spots, flats, where those fish are. Everybody's vying for that stuff. And like you said, you have to be the one to catch those four pounds. And it might just be 
well, the four pounders ate when I was there and I left and somebody comes over behind me and catches five, three pounders. I mean, I, you look at how close the weights were and the difference between like a, a three and a half and maybe a three and three quarter and four pound on side imaging, down imaging, or live scope, there's not much difference in the size no. there. And so you actually have to catch them and then hopefully you're in the right spot. <laughs> I don't know if you, well, first of all, my question to you guys is it's interesting, like rookie year, right? Like it's, it's not like the first year these you just said it. It's not the first year these guys have bass fished. Yeah, but it, you might have guys that have fished for twenty five years or plus in the industry. Maybe they were a former FLW guy like Bradley Hallman. Maybe they fished the elites before, uh, you know, um, and then they requalified their way back in. When they requalify, and this is a question: when they requalify, so if Destin Demarion requalifies for the elites or Harvey Horn, are they considered a rookie? I don't, I think once no. you qualify, you, that rookie's only the first that rookie years that you fish. Poche's not up there for rookie yeah. of the year. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. right. But to, I think rookie is very deceiving in itself, it obviously is. minus the fact that this is the first year you've ever done this in this organization. And that's a rookie. And especially as we move forward with the EQ series, right? Because they are fishing all nine because they are doing all the travel um, because there is an official practice period. It is yep. longer than the elites, right. five days, but still, right? You can't go out there and camp for a month, two months anymore like you yep. used to be able yeah. to do. So um, I, the learning curve is going to get smaller in that sense, I think, as guys continue to you know qualify through the new system. And again, this is the first year, but the, the guys are going to come on are probably going to be hammers, and it's just going to get harder and harder. Yeah, um, the, the guys coming in are going to be much, much better much better prepared that's not the right word but that's what like far better prepared. they're gonna be far better prepared yeah. than guys that came in uh before them just because they happen to fish all night and it's not that going out and winning one and finishing high enough to win your region to qualify wasn't a hard thing to do but it's a lot easier to go out and win one tournament and finish in the top 10 and two other ones to qualify for the elites than it is to stay in that top 10 range across nine events against 175 other guys. And, and, and we've talked to and se gals. several anglers on the MPFL, and one of the adjustments they have, right, is just that limited practice period. Yeah. And, and, you know, right, being able to break it down instead of, you know, going from a BFL and fishing, you know, multiple days pre-fishing or multiple weekends in a row or, like I said, with the Opens. Like, when I was down at, you know, two, I guess two and a half years ago, I mean, there were guys getting ready to fish the Open, and they were there two, three weeks yeah. before the event even kicked off. So. Yeah. It, it's curious because you think about like for us getting ready for a tournament we fish we might only get to practice one day and we come up with a plan and we go in there so you would think you would be do you get so far removed from that to where once you're fishing professionally and you're chasing that dream where you're fishing more and more and more like you lose that that practice mentality and it takes time to get it back there's, there's, it, it's just it's interesting to think because the more i think about it like I can go out and run around one day and, and have a plan and know, you know, have a pretty good idea where some fish are. But then when you get to that level, it's like, oh, well, they have to adjust now to having three days. And it's like, well, all of us, when we started, had zero or one. You're also on a local lake. Like, I get that. But and it's also right. These are multiple day tournaments. That's the big I think that's the biggest. Adjustment. And you have to manage fish and be able to adjust to the conditions. And you really have to practice. Like you may be on day one of practice based upon wind conditions, and that's what the wind's going to be probably on championship Sunday. So you're practicing, hoping like you make the the final cut. Yeah. I mean, you guys heard Trent talk about that, right? Like he has his A hole, his B hole, C hole, and D hole. And I think that's, you know, Ben, you talked about it with the EQs. You know, it did upset a lot of people with the way that they changed it. But I think a lot of the growing pains, just fishing, getting to the elites and fishing that, it wasn't the fishing side of it. It was all the logistics and yeah. all the other stuff that goes into traveling nationally and room and board and food preparation and practice time and all that stuff. Yeah, of course, managing fish over a four-day period, if you even make it past day two, yeah. uh, is going to be a challenge. But when you look at it, like preparing for a one-day tournament, there's no comparison with a four-day tournament. No, absolutely. You got to fish for the future. Whereas you got to fish, you know, yeah, tomorrow's the future. But, you know, you, you talked about a needle in the haystack, you know, like finding that needle in the haystack. How do you find a needle in the haystack when you got five million boats on the water with you? Yeah, that can complicate things. 
Trey, that was a good transition there because the, the other thing we want to talk about, and it has caused some waves uh, recently on, on social media, is that the, the recent high school championship down at Lake Hartwell had 451 boats. And I saw a video uh, before a blast off, and it looked like you could walk across just the lights. Yep going across the lake on all the boats that are out there. It was crazy how many boats were out there. So I, I like to hear you guys, you know, take on that is how do you, right? Cause there's pros and cons. You want people to fish, you want to grow the industry perhaps, but at the same time, that's a, that's, there's some safety. There's a, there's a competitive issues. There's a, there's a lot involved. So I like to hear there, you guys take, there's on a that. difference between growing the industry and abusing a resource. I'm not, I'm not I don't want to say abusing, but over saturating, over saturating resource. And, Yes, we want people out fishing. I don't have a problem with having more people out fishing. Like a lot of people get upset. I think it's good that there's more boats fishing. Does it get frustrating sometimes? Absolutely. When there's nine guys trying to fish the same point in the middle of June, you know, but I also don't think when, at least me personally, when I talk about growing the sport, it's eight, 900 people fishing a tournament over two days. Yeah. Because, like, because, uh, the high school tournaments are team tournaments. So 451 boats. Probably most, if not all, had two anglers on there. So uh, almost 900 lines in the water um, at any given time. That's a that's a that's a lot of pressure. Even though Lake Hartwell is a, a decently sized, you know, bigger lake, it's that's a lot of pressure out there. Yep. It, man. I, <laughs> it's it's it's. I don't. Hard, it's, I, it's, I don't want to come across as hypocritical because it's very easy to say. Well, you guys talk all the time about getting new people fishing, and now you're saying. I want people to fish. I want them to get out and fish, but there has to be something has to be done when it comes to, to tournaments and the organizations. And I've been, everybody knows I've been hypercritical of MLF and the way they run their organization. I'm going to be hypercritical of bass. I'm going to be hypercritical of the NPFL. If we don't do something, if the organizations aren't going to do something about the, the lakes they're fishing when they're fishing them, stacking tournaments back to back, fisheries are affected. Now, sure. Ben, we, we had this discussion a little bit off camera. I'm not saying they're affected in fish kill because those organizations do a wonderful job of keeping fish alive. Local tournaments don't always do a wonderful job. The lower you go, the more fish die. It's just it's the way it is. I don't want to hear, my club never kills them. Your club kills fish. Like <laughs> It happens. It's it's what it is. It's part of the game. It happens at the elite level. Brandon Polyunic lost the tournament this year because of a dead fish. Like it does happen, but it absolutely changes fish behavior when you start to get nine hundred people out there fishing for them. And now that we're a, not targeting fish offshore, let me put another thing out there. It's not new. Like we've been doing it since side imaging came out twenty years ago. They said side. Remember when side imaging came out? How it was going to kill fisheries? Do you guys remember that? Oh argument? yeah. It's the same thing they're talking about with forward facing. It's not anything that it's not like we're fishing new water that was never fished before. It's been getting fish. We can just see how the fish act now. Yeah. And Trey and I, Ben, Ben and I, ever anybody that has forward facing can tell you like it's changing what we know about fish behavior. Cause we were just talking about like on I'll talk about Sharon Harris. Like the fish have been suspended a ton this year, right? Almost so Trey the entire and I, summer. I, I are out there fishing a few weeks ago. And a thunderstorm's rolling in, it gets cloudy. You can feel the temperature drop. You know there's there's pressure moving in. You're like, those fish are going to suck to the bottom. It's about to be on. And fish suspended right through it. And we were all raised to think cloudy skies, those fish belly down to the bottom. That's not the case. Is that because of pressure? I don't know. I do know that on Harris, we have to fish a lot more finesse techniques than we used to to get fish to bite. Yes. Um, not saying if you don't find them set up right, you still can't smack them on a crankbait, but it's not the same. And it's the same on Jordan. Like mm -hmm. there's only so many areas on a lake that hold fish when the water gets hot. There's always going to be some fish shallow to my shallow guys. Like I, I know they're up there in the laydowns. Some people aren't comfortable doing it offshore. There's only so much space for them. The more people out there, hammer them, throwing baits, catching them, releasing them, catching them, keeping them. You're going to have kill. It's going to affect the way they behave. You only have to get jaw jacked so many times before you go, oh, maybe I'm not going to stay on this point. Yeah. And you start to get, you know, Trey was talking about finding a school somewhere where we'd never found a school. And they were there one evening. They were gone the next morning. Like, I think we're starting to see more pelagic schools of this of bass. They're moving more. They're not necessarily going to those old summertime hogs and just sitting yeah. there for the year because they're seeing people targeting them more 
Part of that is more anglers, which is great. Part of that is tournament pressure, in my opinion, because those fish are getting jacked, hauled away in, released, eventually making their way somewhere else. Mm. A week later, they're getting caught, thrown in a live well, ran somewhere else. If the organizations aren't going to do a better job of working together, and when we had Paul and Brad on, they talked about, like, we want to work with bass. We want to talk to those guys. We want to finish. We want to know their schedule so we can fish different or we can back off from them so we're not fishing back-to-back. Um, if those organizations aren't going to work together, the state's going to have to step in. And I know a lot of people uh, got angry. Andy Cox, if you watch this, I know you guys in Illinois are angry. Like, and I, and I understand why you're angry with the fees and stuff that they're charging for tournaments. But limiting the number of ramp permits and the number of tournaments that can be run is not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Somebody has got to do something because eventually tournament pressure is going to start killing more fish and it's going to affect the fishery through the death of fish and not being able to resupply through through uh, the spawn. You have you think about it. If you have this is pure hypothetical, we're going to get Corey back on to talk about it. But if you have I'll use Jordan Lake. If you have a hundred boat tournament every weekend through the summer, say that's 12 tournaments and everybody weighs five fish, that's 500 fish. And if 50% of those die, that's 250 fish dead every weekend, right? Eventually that's going to catch up. You have one bad spawn year. That's going to be really evident, right? Or a high water. You have a high water where we've had spawns be weird. We don't know how good the spawns would be. Like eventually those numbers are going to catch up, right? And I know, I know I'm inflating numbers, but it's easier yeah, to use round numbers. Well, you like got to use like hypothetical worst like, case scenarios. Right? Yeah. If the state or somebody doesn't stop in, the tournament organizations aren't going to, aren't going to police themselves in my opinion. Well, because there's too much money in it. To oh, absolutely. Right. Especially the big, so, even so, local trail organizations are big money in some of sure. those with sponsors and things. So we've got a, it looks like we've got a couple of issues here with, you know, tournaments at large and. Right. That, that, that's just the most egregious example recently, but obviously the opens and, and the MLF. Yeah. Did, opens uh, are what? 250 boats. We were just talking about yeah. 250. The, B- I think Toyota's 250. BFLs aren't capped, but usually you don't see more than 200 boats in yeah. a BFL. But um, um, so so we got a couple of different issues here. We've obviously got the issue of the conservation aspect. And I think the states need to do a better job of of managing or really um, shocking, taking the data, determine what the impact is. Um, because like in your rationale, if, if fish get tired of getting jaw jacked, they're going to move. And now with less anglers they are going to find them, you know, over time and right. It can balance out potentially in the future. Potentially. But, um, if they survive. Um, the other issue though, is it's kind of a competitive thing, uh, for me. So 451 boats out there is a lot. And this is where I'm critical on bass, right? They all qualified, um, through their, the qualification series, right, for bass. So, you, yeah, you have to do something at your local. We looked at it. It was hard to find exacts. Uh, we'll, we, we'll reach out to Kieran and see, but you have to qualify through the opens and through your local division. And, you know, it should really be capped probably at a state, how many people from a state should go, and you should, you know, have a tier and manage that through. Because I think about it, you know, as a competitor out there, and one of two things can happen, right? And on a field that big, right, maybe the best angler that's actually out there, theoretically the best angler out there. He's the the high school prodigy, right? He finds that secret juice that no one knows about anyone, right? And that team wins. Awesome. But at the other side, you, right, there's hammers. I guarantee you there were hammers out there that are really good, who dominate in their local areas, maybe in their state. They went out and practice, and every time they wanted to pull up on a spot, there's seven other boats there. Right. Right, and right it becomes a competitive thing how do you kind of weed out who's the best when there's just so many people out there and there's only so much water to go to how do you we just talked about earlier how do you manage fish over a two-day tournament and if there's how, how do you how boats? do you manage people right so with no cuts let me bring a different perspective into it so as an organization you have a responsibility for accountability so just being accountable for soldiers in the army is hard enough. And then you're talking about being accountable for 900 people potentially. So there's that, that to me is a logistical nightmare. If there's an accident on the water, if there's something going on, like it is really challenging for a tournament director or those who are part of the organization to, to police that up and to manage that. So that's an issue. Not to mention there's boat captains on each one of those boats. So let's go ahead and times 
times those numbers, right? There's well, they're three, not fishing then. So. They're not fishing, but there's three people for 451 boats. So whatever the math is on that. 1350. So 1,350 people, right? Do the math, Pete. So you have 1,350 people on the water. That was pretty darn good, Ben. Good, it's actually 1353. It's 1350 <laughs> if you just go 450. So, I didn't go So from, from a logistical standpoint, from a safety and accountability standpoint, we've seen accidents on the water, right? You know, uh, unprepared fishermen. Yeah, of course they got their stuff that they got to go through when they, when they're in these tournaments. But let's be honest, like nobody tests the boat captains and nobody tests the anglers on their, uh, how efficient they are on the water. So a safety standpoint, right? 481. That's crazy. 51. That's crazy. Two, when we talk about growing the sport, everyone wants to grow the sport, but then they get really irritated when other people are on their spots when they're on the water because we're growing the sport and more people are interested. So they want to be on the water. So it's really annoying from the tournament angler perspective when people are sitting on your juice hole. Um, but what else grows the industry is the ability to catch fish. So I think in the future, because of how educated these fish are, because of potential mortality issues, because of all these things, what gets a child interested in fishing? Catching fish. Catching fish. So we may not see this in the next 5, 10, 20 years. This could be a, a larger uh, or a far further down the road, right? But if, if fish are so educated or potentially underpopulated or a culmination of all the above and people just aren't catching them anymore, we might actually be doing more harm to the industry than good because people are going to lose interest in it. You know, when you look back in the 90s and we start looking at salmon fishing in northern Michigan and Wisconsin, you used to be able to have five a day and you used to be able to snag them. You used to be able to snag them. Why? Because if fish are going up to the last point that they can reach, they spawn and they die. They got like a five-year lifespan. They come from the Great Lakes and move into the rivers. Then Fish and Wildlife changed it, or DNR up there, and they changed it to a three-fish limit to where now you got to catch them in the mouth. Well, anglers were really upset about that. Why are you changing my creel limit? Why does it matter if I snag a fish because they're dying? All the above. They didn't think about what was happening under the water, where there was a 100-pound monofilament at the time back in the day, giant treble hooks with lead weights, all that stuff getting broke off, contaminating the river system, right? Where they'd have to send divers in there annually to clean that stuff out, costing the state money. You know, I'm not saying this is happening to all of our lakes, but there's a significant amount of debris that's getting broke off into our lakes. There's a lot of lead going in our lakes. I know it's not super toxic. You want to know a way to prevent that? Tungsten. Buy snagless jigs. Snagless jigs, you <laughs> right? break off less often. Yeah, <laughs> but like... It's not just, and we had Corey in here, right? And we definitely need to bring him back, but it's not just one thing, man. So like when you look at a tournament and I know Pete was very, uh, you know, interested in bringing this topic up 451, 1,353 people on a body of water on one day of the year, two days, two days of the year, dude, that is significant. Right. And so, and, and that's not only that tournament, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, nighters. Every single weekend, Saturday, Sunders, Sundays, Saturday, Sunders, Sundays. Saturdays and Sundays, right? Like we have blown up tournament fishing, but we always equate that into, well, because we've blown up tournament fishing, we're growing the sport. But is that always a good thing? But it's not as, like we've talked about it. 50 million anglers and less than 1% of the tor like tournament bass right. anglers. Like we're, we're as a tournament angler, we get selfish. Like, and I we would do, do it myself. Like, we can be very selfish. I want people on the water. I want new people. But you don't want them fish, on there when you're but there. I don't want them sitting <laughs> on my spot when I got a tournament going on and I got a juice hole and right. Pappy's out there in his John boat, jaw jack and crappy off my bass hole. Like, I don't want it. You're right. right. When I'm tournament fishing, I love to see it on a regular Saturday if I'm just out having fun. Look at that guy with his grandkid. But like. We get selfish, and I'll admit, all three of us. I do it all the too, time. We yeah. get selfish, like totally become contradictory to what we, what we preach when we're out there fishing a tournament. But as tournament anglers, we're the most visible. We and how yeah. we treat a resource and how we manage that resource, our 1% is speaking for the entire 50 million 
it is angler base and that's i don't know that number is probably higher no but the last number we got was 50 million like that one percent is what we see they see it on tv they see it on social media they see it on the news when something stupid happens like they shove lead weights in fish when eagles die and they attribute it to lead fishing weights they see it on the news like yeah even though that's not a great example but that we're that's all it's always all what's the tournament fishermen they're blowing down the lake at 100 miles an hour they're doing this they're doing that they're killing all these fish because we see fish kill after the thursday night or in 110 degree weather when the water is 90 degrees and look like us is bass language because it's such a big industry such a big sport there is so much money involved right to win um it's very competitive that we probably put the most pressure on these fisheries you know tournament anglers by far put the most pressure on the bass fisheries 100 percent, right for sure i mean that's just that's just a fact right but the bass fisheries aren't just bass fisheries no no, i i know right um and and i know there's crappie tournaments walleye tournaments catfish tournaments and all but it's not to the scales you know as as bass fishing right because it's a sport fish well it depends on where you are i mean like like so and and it's a lot of people are like, well, you're just on there for that one day. No, you're not. Competitive bass anglers are on the water Monday through Sunday, and they are out there trying to figure it out for their one-day tournament, and they're beating that lake to death. So imagine, I don't know if there's an off-limits period for the Bassmaster High School uh, National Championship sure. or whatever, but just think about that. Like the pre-practice, the you know, or the, the pre-practice, the practice, the tournament itself – that's not just two days, mm-hmm. right? Those anglers are out there. And it, it, again, it's not a bad thing, but when you, when is money more important than conservation? When you look at it from the organization's perspective, it, and this, right? this actually brought me, uh, just maybe remember when I was in Florida at the Harris chain a couple of years ago, it was the Bassmaster high school open event down there. And then the next weekend, or the I think it was the very next weekend, it was the Bassmaster Open, yeah. right? which makes sense from a organization perspective, um, logistically, right? To have tournaments there kind of back to back, but that's that's a it's <laughs> a lot of boats. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Ben, Pete, and myself, we're not biologists. We're we're not subject matter experts in that field by Stayed any means. Stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like besides staying at a Holiday Inn Express uh, and being a doctor, no, like I think there's some common sense that you just can't learn. You just you have it or you don't. And and common sense would tell you like if you keep using a resource, overusing a certain resource, there's going to be a there's a shelf life on that sometimes, right? And so we ask ourselves like when is enough enough and and listen we're not the first ones having this conversation there's multiple elite series anglers there's there's people that are highly respected in the outdoor space that are having these conversations like when should you put a cap on the tournaments right i mean bass at the elite level and at the open level does a fantastic job of capping them they cap the elites after day two only 50 progress after day three only 10 progress right um and and other tournament organizations do the same thing but this was a one-off this was like holy cow 400 over 400 boats in a tournament that's crazy and then think about the kids right how angry (laughs) how could you could you imagine we'll have to talk to kieran and daryl and stuff but how frustrating was that you think that was for those those kids who want to grow up in this industry Imagine I, being boat 450. Oh my By goodness. the time they blast off the other 450 boats, it's dang 10 o'clock. Yeah. You've missed the entire morning bite. Yeah. Like that. You're Thank not, goodness there probably wasn't a shad spawn. Oh. Those 450 boats aren't blasting off in 30 minutes. Hopefully they're number one on day two. I, I was well, they on, do flip it. Yeah. 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 I was at Lake Watery one year <laughs> um, and they had a high school event down there. And uh, <laughs> I think I saw. Four of the high school boaters out there. Well, the boats where they had their captain. I, I I saw at least four of the kids who were in the back of the boat. I think they were laying down. They weren't even fishing. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, mean it was it was a tough fishing day. Yeah, bluebirds, guys, high pressure, all that all that type of stuff. But I mean, I mean, they weren't. A lot of those guys were not having a great time out there. And right, I mean, we go out there and right, we're having a difficult time in the tournament. Right, we don't enjoy that necessarily. That's we like right. being on the water. We like being out there doing what we love. 
But in the moment when you're trying to do the best you can and it's not happening for you, obviously you're not you're not happy about it because you want to perform better. Mm -hmm. um, but that makes it very difficult. The positive side is maybe this is a problem because the explosion and in, in the interest uh, in you know high school bass fishing was so great. It, it, right, it's continuing to grow, right. and maybe this is a, a a call to action or a reckoning. It's like they need to restructure how they qualify. Yeah, because if it was up to me, you know, I would take a certain number from each state, um, and then maybe have a, you know, so the I don't know, top two or three from each state can go. Maybe there's a regional open, so like the people who qualified in the state from like three through twenty, if they all go to a regional event, and then right there's some kind of open slots there, right? So you can you can maybe 150, 200 boat field, you, right? There's ways you can play the numbers and probably do regions and by state and make it. So when you actually get there, it makes the, it makes it more fun for the anglers. It makes it in a sense more competitive because you have more space in the water, more, more area to operate in. You can actually strategize and maybe stick to your plan a little bit more. Yeah. It's just interesting that, that, and again, I'll be hypercritical of bass on this one too. The championship, right? Just yeah. like the classic where only 50 can fish, plus or minus, right? The other ones. If everyone can, it almost seems like everyone did it for high school BASS. If everyone can do it, then you're not special. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it, it's one of those things, like, if you, if everyone can do it, then it's really not that special. Yeah. And and that's just something to think about. Uh, and, and again, Ben, like maybe a call to action, like this is, this is something to think about for the future. It takes away opportunity for kids too. I mean, that's scholarship money that they win at this level, right? Like, yeah, it's true. I think it's 20, the winner's got 20, is it 2,500 or 25? It's gotta be 2,500. I can't imagine just 25,000, but I mean, that's scholarship dollars that 451 kids like, or boats, teams, uh, it's just well, crazy. If it's only twenty five hundred, they need to up that. I don't. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Especially with four hundred. There's a two five. It might be twenty five thousand. I'd have. I'd have to go yeah. back and look. But that would be a great scholarship. Like, but but yeah, I mean, it's just you're out there competing for scholarship money to go to college and, and right do continue your career and what you love to do. And there's a hundred boats. Yeah. On every single point you pull up on. Yeah, and I think that you know tying it back into you know when we talked to Brad and Paul. On the MPFL, they got a really good uh, business model, right? It, not everyone can do it, mm -hmm. right? Uh, bass fishing competitively at certain levels is not for everyone. That's why there's qualifying events and stuff. Uh, being in the army is not for everyone, right? And that that goes for everything in life. Um, but in order to be effective and and call yourself like like a certain level to be special that means that not everyone can do it yeah and so no matter how much of an advantage you think you have a forward-facing sonar or a 250 horsepower engine or all these gizmos and gadgets if you have one gajillion boats on the freaking lake you can't even get to a spot it don't even make a difference it does not make a difference no, right and when you take the enjoyment out of it when you because we already know like tournaments are stressful as it is and a lot of times it's not even that fun but when you make it impossible to enjoy it well then you're actually not growing the sport you're actually hurting it in my opinion you yeah because how saying? many of those 451 kids are gonna say eh, I don't yeah know. i'm not sure i want to do I'm this sure anymore. i want to do this anymore you know or i'm sorry 900 kids 902 kids yeah i mean they're gonna be like yeah this isn't really for me like yeah, yeah. Why, why would I want to go out and do that and, and get frustrated and your captain's frustrated and it's just, it doesn't create a, a great learning environment, which honestly should be part of what junior bass is. Like it's about learning tournament fishing and all of that. And you know, it's the same like peewee football through high school. Like you're learning the game of football. You start to master that in college and a small percentage of that in college moves on to the pros yeah. where you're now, you could be considered a master. You're still learning. You still have coaches teaching you stuff. You know, things are still changing, but like at that level, it should be about having fun and learning. And if it were me at that age, like, I don't know, as much as I love fishing, if I went out there and had to deal with that, I don't know if I'd want to do it the next year. Honestly, like, do I really want to go out and deal with this headache? And I can't even imagine what it was like to back your boat into the ramp. Good, not, 
better get there early. The so. line to get there, like they better have porter potties lined up along the road because I would probably have to Travis go. Cobra sent me a picture. They launched <laughs> you didn't have to launch at that launch. Okay, that's good. So they launched at one that was just like a down at, around the corner and idled. But like he sent me a Snapchat of coming around the corner and it literally is across the entirety of lake. Like he goes but scans across the lake and it's just freaking lights. It's basically a panoramic picture yeah. of just Rid- boats. Now it looks like a city shore. And he's like, those are all boats, bro. Look close. You zoom in, you see all the green and red and, the, and you're like, Oh my goodness. So for everyone, is it, is it all about the anglers? No, it's not. Do you think the gas stations love them being there? Absolutely. You think the restaurants love them being there? Sure. Chamber the hotels, commerce. the chamber of commerce, right? There's a financial obligation here or a financial benefit um, from the business perspective, from, you know, the, the host community's perspective. Yep. So we're, we're really looking at it just from the fish side of the house and the tournament angler side of the house. Uh, it's far bigger than that. And we all know that, but still there has to be like, we got to find a healthy balance with that yeah. because that's just, you know, to me, that's outrageous. And uh, somebody, whether you know, it's the organization, right, or the state, right. somebody at some point has to say, and that's all we're asking for. Just that, find a good balance. Just find a good balance. But I want everybody to have the opportunity to do it, but not at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way 451 teams should have qualified. I'm sorry. There's no way. Yeah. Could you imagine like little league world series being like, Oh yeah. We're going to let 90 teams come in, best oh, yeah. of seven. It'd be great for Williamsport up in PA and the hotels and the Airbnbs and the campgrounds and all that. But, I mean, it'd be a nightmare to try to yeah. play all those games, you know? like you, you, you brought up the scholarships and you brought up some other stuff. It really doesn't seem like the anglers are the one of the ones in a tournament that size that are benefiting from anything. Not the most. They're not getting the most benefit. Everyone else outside the anglers. And, when, and again, I'll be hypercritical of bass. Like when you yeah. when you read like the blast when they announce where they're going. So they announce like, oh, junior national championship at Lake Hartwell. The city chamber of commerce is super excited to have us back for the two year. Of course they are because they made a million dollars off your kids last year. Right. Like, why wouldn't they be yeah. like, and I get that that's important. Like having those relationships, making money for the community when you're visiting it, not just coming and abusing their resource and leaving like is important, but it seems to be that's where the focus goes. It's not, these are the best junior anglers in the country. It's this is the Academy sports and outdoors. Yeah. Junior bass championship. The Lake Hartwell Chamber of Commerce welcomes BASS and the Bassman. Like it's it's not the anglers like yeah. that are that are the hyper focus, and that's that's where when we talk about why we like the MPFL so much is because the very first thing you're going to hear is about the anglers, yeah. the sponsors. They're going to thank the chambers and stuff. You know, they make those sweet plaques that uh, is yeah. it drunk wood or whoever makes it for them. They make those. They give it to this Chamber of Commerce, thanking them with the dates and stuff on there. It's really cool, like. Obviously, they're thankful and they work with them, but it's not that's not the most important thing to them. The most important thing to them is that their anglers have a platform to fish and, and to be able to grow their brand, to be able to win some money, to get better. And that that's really, at the end of the day, what it should be about when you look at even at the at the elite series level. Like it's about good competition and good anglers, but especially at the junior level. And it's a huge disservice to those kids that Bass did by letting 900 freaking kids go out there and fish. I'll say this. They did a disservice to those kids that that spent their money, that traveled to fish the opens, that fished their locals by basically saying, everybody wants to complain about participation trophies. Well, there were some just letting folks in to let folks in at 451. I'm sorry. Yeah. Why can't you take the top team or the top two teams from each state? You know, that that's put you at 200, right? 50 states, not all 50. Alaska yeah, probably isn't going to have a team. Right. Hawaii's probably not going to have a team. Like there's states that aren't going to have it, right? But did so, you, did you know there's only been one bass ever caught in Alaska? No. <laughs> yeah, I need to go back. Uh, when I did the best, where bass. was it caught? Do you remember? Um, I don't remember the lake. It was back when I did the best bass uh, lake in every state, and then if I ever do the biggest bass ever caught in every state. But yeah, there was one caught in a lake, I think outside Juno, either Juno or, or And so he has the only bass ever caught in the state record. Seven inches. <laughs> and they killed it. 
Of course ah, they did, because yeah, invasive. It's invasive. They're like, we don't know how this fish got here. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But he was able to find a needle in a haystack. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what we're saying here is don't stop tournament fishing. Don't stop growing the industry. But if you want to give somebody the opportunity to find a needle in a haystack, don't make it impossible you got to right. where they can find just a needle in a stack of needles. You got to, you know preserve, what I mean? Preserve the, the resource, preserve the resource, do your due diligence, make money, but you literally just took everything away from the angler on that one and made it all about like business. And in my opinion, right? So I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I'm sure there's a lot of people that will have feedback for us. You know, we really want to hear your feedback. Um, I know there's a lot of people that are, that are hot on the topic of like tournament fishing pressure is has grown significantly since covid um and it has and and we're seeing it here on our local lakes here in north carolina uh but you just see it like everything that you see come across social media instagram facebook TikTok, whatever else platform there is now it's tournament 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 like where are the recreational fishermen out right and they're the ones that outnumbered but tournament anglers have the loudest voice in the industry tournament anglers have the loudest voice in the industry by far and and maybe we should use that voice wisely to preserve conservation to preserve the sport and to make it more interesting and just fun for us to fish now and in the future yeah and the last thing i gotta say is like i was surprised when when we opened up fishing friday and we asked about stuff that majority of folks wanted like well, how do you fish a tournament what's your thought like that honestly surprised me yeah. i thought you'd get more like well show us how you tie knots or how do you fish if it's if it's raining or how but it was very much centered around tournament fishing so it is the platform that people look to to learn the platform people want to learn but we've got to figure out a way to do it res more responsibly maybe and i will say like i i love when boy duckett did catch way release and did all the fish in mlf like every fish counts Maybe we got to start looking at going to a system where that's you somehow manage at a local level to help preserve, maybe not running those fish around, stress them out and killing them, uh, letting them get back to where they are. I don't know, but, uh, Trey, that's a whole nother topic. Yeah, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> hey guys, like we said before, let's create a healthy balance. Let's help each other. Uh, let's cultivate an environment of anglers, helping anglers one cast at a time. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God, it's a toad, It's a toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's gonna be a bad day.